Okay, so we're going to continue, and this uh, session uh, was designed to be about globalism, transhumanism, and depopulation, and I'm definitely going to get to that, but I do want to talk about some things that I had originally put at the end of the previous session, but I chased too many rabbits and ran out of time. So some, somebody asked me, you know, you keep mentioning in the book, and I just want to be clear that the title of the conference is Spirit of the Antichrist, which is based on the brand new book that I just published March 21st, so it's been out just about a month, called the same name, Spirit of the Antichrist. So I think everybody knows that, but just to master the obvious, so if you're interested, you can read this. It's got 38 pages of uh, bibliographic citations, so you can do your own research. It's got uh, uh, all kinds of uh, topics that were covered in the book that we're not going to be able to cover in the conference. Uh, if you're watching by live stream, uh, and you're interested, you can go to spiritoftheantichrist.org, spiritoftheantichrist.org, so, or if you're here and you know someone after the conference that you'd like to introduce them to, go to spiritoftheantichrist.org. There you can read the preface and see the entire table of contents so that it tells you what kind of topics are in uh, the book. And then if you decide you want to order it, then they can order it right from that uh, page. So... Um, I think that was the only announcements. Don't forget, we will have a full dedicated Q&A tomorrow morning during the Bible study, our Sunday school hour. Uh, so write down your questions. If I don't get to them in one of these sessions or if you're not able to catch me between sessions or something, hopefully we can address any questions then. Um, and then uh, I think that is it. Don't forget, we've got the video series too, which is a year older than the book but covers the same topics just in far less detail. But it is a good series and uh, a lot of the clips and stuff that I'm playing here, not the newer ones, but some of the ones are going to be in that. So if you're interested in the video phase version of it, uh, we have that on DVD or streaming. Okay, I think that's all that I wanted to mention there. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and at least try to touch on this next topic before we get into the topic uh, that was uh, scheduled for this session. So fake news and censorship is what I wanted to talk about. Remember, it's all about deception during the future tribulation period, Satan is going to attempt to deceive the whole world. And he's going to roll out the mark of the beast. And, of course, uh, those who get saved during the tribulation, that is, those who were left behind at the rapture but come to faith during the tribulation, will either be beheaded or a certain number of them will be able to hide out and escape martyrdom. And they will be the ones at the second coming of Christ in their physical bodies to whom Jesus says, Come ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you, Matthew 24. Um, but uh, fake news is something that uh, we've all kind of heard about and seen, talked about. I've experienced the censorship aspect of it firsthand. We've had nine videos censored, banned from YouTube over the last couple of years. We finally quit about a year ago. You quit using YouTube altogether. We still have an Op by Works channel, and it's still got hundreds or probably over a thousand videos there over the years that are there and people still watch them and the gospel goes forth. A lot of them are good theological Bible teaching videos, but it just got to the point where I could no longer had the time to keep uploading things to YouTube only to have them ban them. So we made the decision uh, to start doing all of our own streaming. We pay good money for that to do streaming in-house. Everything that we do is now available at notbyworks.org. We don't outsource any of it to YouTube, Facebook, any of that. So all of our videos are at notbyworks.org. All of our podcasts, you can get them wherever you listen to podcasts, but we also have them at our website. So it's just kind of a one-stop place 
to go for all of our resources. We do a devotional article every week, and you can click on our devotionals page and see a backlog of 100 devotionals. Um, obviously, you know, different interviews that we do, uh, all kinds of stuff. So, um, you know, it's sad that you have to do that because in a free country, you'd think that some of these media outlets would be that were, that were free, uh, but nothing is free anymore, really. It comes at a high cost, and that cost was being, uh, was being censored. Uh, so we need to understand just the reality that we, uh, that we live in. And, and Voltaire said it's difficult to free fools from the chains they revere. Or Goethe said none are more hopelessly enslaved than those who falsely believe they are free. Or another atheist, Ram Dass, said if you think you're free, there's no escape possible. And why is it, again, that all of these, you know, atheistic mystics really understand what uh, we don't? Um, and so in this uh, short two-and-a-half-minute clip uh, from Plandemic, Indoctrination, some of you may have seen that uh, documentary. It was part two of the Plandemic series. But uh, here Dr. David Martin talks about fact-checking and censorship. So let's watch. See, the problem with all of this is the evidence is right in front of our face. And when confronted with evidence, we are told fact-checkers are somehow transcendent. The pace of our modern world makes it nearly impossible for working people to research the events and policies that shape their lives. When seeking answers to life's most pressing questions, where do we go first? Google. Enter the subject, hit go, and there it is. Only what they want us to see. In today's culture of copy and paste journalism, it's common for hundreds of unrelated outlets to feature the exact same report. This is not the result of laziness. This is by design. When we see identical headlines across seemingly unrelated platforms, the logical mind concludes, well then, it must be true. The illusion that numerous news sources have arrived at the same conclusion gives us confidence to share the chosen narrative. And just like that, we become the unwitting pushers of propaganda. Search engines are the holy grail for those seeking to control the narrative. Google is already more powerful in terms of its control over people's lives than almost every government on the planet. As the most influential search engine in the world, through its ubiquitous reach, Google has more power to influence U.S. elections than any foreign nation. So... You testified before this committee you said in subsequent elections, Google and Facebook and Twitter and big text manipulation could Ted manipulate Cruz. as many as 15 million votes in a subsequent election. And the methods that they're using are invisible. They're subliminal. They're more powerful than most any effects I've ever seen in the behavioral sciences. And I've been in the behavioral sciences for almost 40 years. The blacklists is something that Google said didn't exist. And they testified that under oath. And nothing but the truth will help you guys. Mm -hmm. Now me as an engineer, I just did a search on Google's internal search engine and guess what I found? It had blacklisted search terms like cancer cures. Why is Google deciding what people can and cannot search for? What was once an efficient tool for navigating the world of information is now a network for global surveillance, data collection, and social engineering. 
So then there's this article from July 30th, 2020 in Forbes magazine in the height of the pandemic, which said, you must not do your own research when it comes to science. And Ethan Segal said this, quote, research both sides and make up your mind. It's simple, straightforward, common sense advice. And when it comes to issues like vaccinations, climate change, and the novel coronavirus SARS-CoV-2, it can be dangerous, destructive, and even deadly. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Just trust us. Just trust us. He goes on, the techniques that most of us use to navigate most of our decisions in life, gathering information, evaluating based on what we know, and choosing a course of action, can lead to spectacular failures when it comes to a scientific matter. The reason is simple. Most of us, even those of us who are scientists ourselves, lack the relevant scientific expertise needed to adequately evaluate that research on our own. In our own fields, we are aware of the full suite of data of how those puzzle pieces fit together. When laypersons, that's you and me, espouse opinions on those matters, it's immediately clear to us where the gaps in their understanding are and where they have missed themselves, misled themselves in their reasoning. Unless we start evaluating the factual, the actual expertise that legitimate experts have spent lifetimes developing, then doing our own research could lead to immeasurable, unnecessary suffering. Talk about a propaganda piece. So basically, the short you know, statement there is, roll up your sleeve, take this experimental gene editing bioinjection, and be quiet about it. You don't, you're not smart enough to know. Just trust us. And in that chapter, chapter 9 in the book, I talk extensively about FDA and CDC and other times they've told us to trust them and how that's really been uh, disastrous, right? So absolutely, uh, we should, uh, you know, do our own research. And, uh, you know, that's part of being studious and, and, and doing due diligence, right? Um, you know? Anyway, uh, so we see all kinds of censorship. YouTube is you know, censoring uh, Google. They talked, the clip talked about Google where, you know, and, and you can do this yourself. Just if you have two computers, just sit right beside each other. Both of you open up to Google, decide something you want to search on and run the search on, and you'll see different results because the algorithms are based on your own personal bit bucket. So everybody by now surely understands that we all have our own bit bucket. It's in Sandy, Utah at the massive fusion center out there. We've been by it, taking pictures. Um, Everything digitally, everything I'm saying now, everything, every keystroke on my computer, everything on my cell phone, every email, every text, every message, every social media post, everything is placed in your bit bucket. And then if needed, they can run algorithms and they can retrieve that data as needed. And so Google has tapped into those bit buckets and they run algorithms on you and they might know that person A, for example, is a conservative Bible-believing Christian who doesn't believe that you should inject yourself with experimental bio, gene editing bioinjections and person B isn't. So you're going to get different results. Or try, uh, try this just on your own computer. Search vaccines under Google and the first 20 pages will be all about extolling the virtues of vaccines. Do the same search on something like DuckDuckGo or Brave and you'll find the first several pages are all of the warnings and dangers and side effects and VAERS about vaccine, you know, VAERS data about vaccine. Why is that, right? It's all manipulated. Um, so, you know, you see lots of examples of YouTube here. I'll just scroll through some of these screenshots from different, you know, censorship uh, examples. Um, thought police, that's certainly what it is. Uh, obviously, people are being 
banned or given warnings if they criticize, you know, LGBTQI and whatever. Uh, this is pretty late breaking just from two days ago, April 28th. You probably saw this, but uh, are you ready for the DHS Disinformation Governance Board, right? And this is where Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas testifies that his agency is forming a disinformation governance board, uh, right? I mean, this is straight out of Nazi Germany. I mean, this is not anything new. We just never thought we'd see it here. And I want to go back to Edward Bernays and his book, Propaganda. Uh, and, you know, I've given you uh, some of these uh, uh, quotes, but I wanted to elaborate on a couple of them even more. But remember, he said, whatever is of social importance is done today, whether in politics, finance, manufacture, agriculture, charity, education, or other fields, must be done with the help of propaganda. And he said many people are, uh, men or people are rarely aware of the real reasons which uh, inform their actions. And this is the quote that's actually, uh, you see this on the back of the book, I believe. He says, a presidential candidate may be drafted in response to overwhelming popular demand. Sound familiar? This was written back in the 20s. Um, but it is well known that his name was first decided upon by a half dozen men sitting around a table in a hotel room. I want to show you a few examples of Bernays' work from the 40s and 50s. And remember, the tools at the disposal of the Luciferian deceivers today are far more potent and powerful than they were back in Bernays' day. By the way, I'm not, I said 20s for propaganda. I'm having a brain freeze. It might have been a little bit later than that, but anyway, this is the rough time frame, first half of the 20th century. Uh, you know, back then they had print media, radio, um, and three TV stations. Uh, of course, today we've got internet, smartphones, cable TV, satellite, all kinds of social media, and so forth. But these were some of the campaigns that he was responsible for. Uh, he was hired by the uh, cigarette industry to encourage people to smoke. Uh, this is when they, were, they wanted to get women, because originally only men smoked cigarettes. But there's a huge market share there to get women to start smoking, right? Lots of money there that can be poured into the Luciferian machine. And so they hired Bernays to, to get women uh, smoking. Um, here's one. Uh, Lucky's 20,679 20, physicians say Lucky's are less irritating. Um, 200 people in this room think Bernays' ads are irritating, but anyway. Um, this one was amazing. He, they hired famous opera singers. I smoke because it protects my throat, and my throat's insured for $50,000, and yet I add extra help to my throat by, by smoking, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, they're evil to the core, not just cigarettes, but also um, soft drinks, uh, look at this. I wish I could see in one of my presentations, I had a, a zoom in, I don't have it on this one, but basically they asked the question, you know, how soon is too soon to start giving your babies high fructose corn syrup and carbonated beverages? Uh, and the answer is not soon enough. Studies have shown that the sooner you give your babies these drinks, the smarter they'll become and the better they'll be, you know. So just kind of wanted to kind of give you another example of some of the manipulated mind. And when they got TV, it was like a captive audience now. And, and of course, now it's just 
it's exponentially uh, worse. But if we go back to, you know, this human government God's plan of the ages, and I mentioned we're on the brink, so that's why I try to kind of put that arrow there and the waning days of nationalism shifting back into um, this, you know, globalist uh, uh, time frame. Let's go back to the end of World War II. And a guy by the name of John Foster Dulles, he was a co-founder of the CFR with Rockefeller. And he said uh, in his book, War or Peace, the United Nations represents not a final stage in the development of world order, but only a primitive stage. Therefore, its primary task is to create the conditions which will make possible a more highly developed organization. He said, I've never seen any proposal made for collective security with teeth in it, or for world government, or for world federation. Remember, that was the group that was giving uh, Walter Cronkite the award in the 90s which could not be carried out by either by the United Nations or under the United Nations Charter. In other words, the United Nations can do this. Key players in the establishment of the UN were Alger Hiss. He was the first UN Secretary General and a member of the Council on Foreign Relations, um, uh, former chief of the Carnegie Foundation. We've mentioned them a lot, and also Bohemian Grove product. Oh, and by the way, a Soviet spy. You know. What do you do with Soviet war criminals that slaughtered people by the thousands? Well, you bring them over to America, give them high-paying jobs in Birmingham, Alabama, and put them on the cover of Time magazine. What, what else would you do with them, right? Uh, Joseph, and that was called uh, Operation, anybody know? Anyway, after World War II when we brought all the Soviet scientists over here. Well, the Germans were just paper Yeah, that's it. That's what I'm talking about. What did I say, Soviet? Yeah. Yeah, German. I'm sorry, I was having a brain freeze there. But yeah, Operation Paperclip. I talk about that in the book. Uh, Joseph Stalin uh, was also a key player in the establishment of the UN. Um, here's a 21-second clip from Fox News. This is from 2015. Pope Francis, who became Pope in 2013 after Benedict, he, it's his first address to the UN General Assembly. And very few people caught this or reported on it. But notice what he says, and then I'll come back and repeat the salient quote here in a moment. Uh, it'll be his first address to the United Nations General Assembly. It's going to set the tone for an anti-poverty summit where leaders will adopt ambitious new global development goals for the next 15 years. So this, on the 70th anniversary of the founding of the United Nations, the Pope really is going to give, be giving them the marching orders for the next decade and a half. That's right. And if yeah. So 70th anniversary of the founding of the UN, the Pope's going to give them their marching orders for the next decade and a half. Now, help me out here. I was public schooled. That's 15 years, I think, right? So 15 years. This was 2015. What's 15 years later? 2030. UN Agenda 2030. So he's setting the agenda for the next 15 years. He's giving the marching orders uh, to uh, uh, the U.S. So let's talk about the Council on Foreign Relations. Uh, this is a huge, huge part of the globalist agenda. Before we get to transhumanism, I thought I would talk about uh, this for just a second. So Richard Nathan Haas, whom you see on the right now, is the uh, president of the Council on Foreign Relations and has been so for 20 years, since 2003. And uh, uh, prior to that, he was the director of policy planning for the United States Department of State and a close advisor to Secretary of State Colin Powell. Um, and uh, 
he, he's been several other key roles as well. But here's a meeting uh, where President Biden admits, I work for Richard Haas. The subject of today is uh, another article in the, uh, in the magazine. Uh, probably should introduce myself. Say bye, everybody. Uh, my name is Richard Haas, by the way. Uh, I work here at the Council on Foreign Relations. And uh, I work for Richard. <laughs> and I work for Richard. <laughs> oh, yeah. He, he works for Richard, that's for sure. Um, here's uh, Hillary at the, at the Council on Foreign Relations, where she says the CFR tells her what to do. Thank you very much, um, Richard, and I am delighted to be here in these new headquarters. Um, I have been often to, uh, I guess, the mothership in New York City, uh, but it's good to have an outpost of the council right here down the street from the State Department. Uh, we get a lot of advice from the council, so this will mean I won't have this far to go to uh, be told uh, what we should be doing and uh, how uh, we should uh, think about the future. Rick so that's kind of scary. The Secretary of State of the United States is happy that the CFR has an outpost now in D.C. so they can be told what they should be doing and how they should think. Wow. Uh, here's uh, Dick Cheney. Just I'm an equal opportunity offender. I like to offend Republicans and uh, Democrats, uh, who acknowledges that his Wyoming supporters are probably not too happy about his association with the CFR. It's good to be back at the Council on Foreign Relations. As uh, Pete mentioned, I've been a member for a long time and was actually a director for some period of time. I never mentioned that when I was campaigning for re-election back home in Wyoming. It's good to so other notable uh, CFR members, uh, just listed a few of them there on uh, the screen, but uh, it's a absolutely key cog in the wheel of the Luciferians. Uh, all of the presidents, you know, are connected to it, uh, and, you know, even uh, so-called outsider Trump made sure that he immediately surrounded himself with advisors and cabinet members who are members of the controlled CFR, like Jim Mattis, former Sec uh, Defense Secretary, Mark Esper, former Defense Secretary, and at least 67 others that were parts of his cabinet that were CFR-connected, like John Bolton, uh, Rex Tillerson, Mike Pompeo, and many, many others. So I just wanted to throw those two things in about uh, the CFR and also about uh, our being censored and controlled speech and those kinds of things with, uh, with the uh, YouTube and all of that. So now I want to talk about the, the transhumanist agenda. And again, when you understand that Lucifer is at the helm of this conspiracy, uh, then you understand that Lucifer has always had a desire to be God. That's why he got kicked out of heaven. Uh, that's how it all started. Isaiah said, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer. Um, and... You know, in, he goes on to say, For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. This is ultimately what this battle is all about. The Luciferians want to be gods. They want immortality, right? Going to Ezekiel, we read that uh, this Lucifer was... Full of, Satan was full of wisdom and perfect in beauty in Eden. He was the anointed 
cherub until iniquity was found in you. You have sinned, therefore I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings. You have become a horror. Prince, he's the prince of the power of the air. I love that last part there before we get to prince of the power of the air. You have become a horror. You shall be no more forever. In other words, even in the post-exilic age of Ezekiel, they were already talking about Satan's demise. I mean, it's obviously we go all the way back to Genesis 3.15 and we see his demise. But uh, anytime I see scripture that talks about his ultimate demise, I always like to vocalize that and remind him about that. Uh, in Ephesians 2, we're told he's the prince of the power of the air and the God of this age, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, who's blinding men's hearts uh, to the gospel. As we said, he's trying to devour people and walking around <laughs> trying to devour them. So if we look at someone like Karl Marx, again, another key cog, not the end-all, be-all of this one-world conspiracy, but a key part along the way, he said, with Satan, I have struck my deal. He chalks the, the signs, beats time for me. I play the death march fast and free. Now think about that when you think about what they're now pushing on our children in terms of socialism in our schools. It's all by design. Now that's Karl Marx. Uh, here's David Rockefeller praising Chairman Mao. He said the social experiment in China under Chairman Mao's leadership is one of the most important and successful in human history. Right? So this is why transhumanism has become such a huge thing in, in part of the Luciferian agenda. Transhumanism is the merging of man and machine. It's basically creating life. It's redefining humanity. Trans, of course, means whatever you want it to mean. You know, transgender means you get to pick your gen gender, transracial, trans whatever. There was a British man in the news not long ago who spent over 150,000 euros to become Korean because he identified as Korean. And uh, so with a little plastic surgery, all of a sudden he's Korean, right? So uh, we see this trans agenda all over the place. In 2021, uh, Lena Bloom made history as the first transgender model to grace the cover of Sports Illustrated's annual swimsuit edition. Um, we see Missouri's first homecoming queen uh, was transgendered. Um, you know, it's, it's all over the place, transhumanism. And all of these are always celebrated in the media as the first, the first transgender athlete, the first transgender mayor, the first transgender homecoming queen or king or whatever you call it, right? Uh, as if they're heroes. But, you know, I did some, some uh, thinking about this idea of trans. If all you have to do to be anything you want to be is just put the prefix trans in front of it, well, that makes life a little bit easier. Uh, for example, you know, you could, uh, you could become the trans Super Bowl champions if you're the Detroit Lions. <laughs> right? Right? I promised I'm not going to make any Packers jokes. Uh, they've won a fair share of Super Bowls. So. Uh, or how about this? In theory, someone who never won a presidential election in their life could be the trans president of the United States. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Um, so this is why this is so evil, because it goes to the very heart of the image of God in man. God's image, the imago Dei, involves male and female. 
And so they, in redefining what it means to be human, are attacking gender. I call it the gender surrender movement. That's what they're trying to do. So let's revisit our old friend Klaus Schwab. He said, the mind-boggling innovations triggered by the fourth industrial revolution, from biotechnology to AI, artificial intelligence, are redefining what it means to be human. He said, the future will challenge our understanding of what it means to be human from both a biological and a social standpoint. He said, already advances in neurotechnologies and biotechnologies are forcing us to question what it means to be human. See, they want to destroy all but 500 million people off the face of the earth. I'll talk about that when we get to depopulation in a moment. And of the 500,000 that are left, only a certain top-level elite are the, one, are the ruling class. That They just need a few hundred thousand to be you know, serfs and people that serve them. Uh, but they want to have this playground to themselves. And you know, people often say, well, why would they want to destroy the earth? Well, first of all, you need to understand their credo of order out of chaos, destroy so they can rebuild. Um, so it's like when someone who's extremely wealthy you know, buys a rundown house in a, uh, in, a, in a transitional neighborhood that's returning back after kind of going down, and the property's worth more than the house, so they just raise the house, and then they rebuild a mansion on top of it, right? And that's kind of what they, how they think of the earth. We've got to get rid of everything so we can build it back better and, and make, it, uh, make it right. So they want this playground for themselves. I mean... Uh, would you rather go to a, a big theme park? I used to say, would you rather go to Disney World? But nobody wants to go to Disney World anymore, so the analogy doesn't work. But would you rather go to a big theme park, you know, with a few, you know, thousand of your closest friends, or would you like to have the whole theme park to yourself, where you can just get on any ride you want? There's no lines at the soda stand, whatever. Of course, you want it for yourself, and that's the way they think. Uh, this guy has uh, been in the news a lot lately. He's an Israeli. His Wikipedia page defines him as an Israeli public intellectual, historian, and professor in the Department of History at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. He's uh, kind of a philosopher, and he's written several bestsellers such as, quote, Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind, and 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. He's the co-founder of Sapienship, a multidisciplinary organization advocating global responsibility. Now, you tell me if you'd want to take lessons from this guy in this next, uh, in this next clip. Here's what he said. And COVID is critical because this is what convinces people to accept, to legitimize total biometric surveillance. Total biometric to surveillance. stop this epidemic. We need not just to monitor people, we need to monitor what's happening under their skin. What we have seen so far, it's corporations and governments collecting data about where we go, who we meet, what movies we watch. The next phase is the surveillance going under our skin. We now see mass surveillance systems established even in democratic countries, which previously rejected them, and we also see a change in the nature of surveillance. Previously, surveillance was mainly above the skin. Now it's going under the skin. 
governments want to know not just where we go or who we meet, above all they want to know what is happening under our skin. What's our body temperature? What's our blood pressure? What, what is our medical condition? Now humans are developing even bigger powers than ever before. We are really acquiring divine powers of creation and destruction. We are really upgrading humans into gods. We are acquiring, for instance, the, the power to re-engineer life. Humans are now hackable animals. You know, the, the whole idea that humans have, you know, this, they, they have this soul or spirit and they have free will and nobody knows what's happening inside me. So whatever I choose, whether in the election or whether in the supermarket, this is my free will, that's over. I mean, all this story about Jesus rising from the dead and being the son of God, this is fake news. I know that in recent years, we saw populist politicians undermining deliberately the trust that people have in important institutions like universities, like respectable media outlets. These populist politicians told people that, say, scientists are this small elite, this... Yeah, what so... Yeah, this, uh, absolutely, what demon got to him? Yeah, I, the, you know, you see he's on mainstream news outlets. Just propaganda, mind control, getting people to think this way, to devalue the sanctity of life made in the image of God. And then here's another lady from the World Government uh, Council or Summit just earlier this year, uh, Pippa Malmgren. Um, American technology entrepreneur and economist. She serves as special assistant to the President of the United States, George W. Bush, for economic policy. And uh, she is a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. Um, her father is Harold Malmgren, who served as a senior aide to U.S. Presidents JFK, LBJ, Richard Nixon, and Gerald Ford. So, so many of these globalists, you know, and this is how you know that it's a rigged game and that it's not a real right-left paradigm, is that they work for both parties. You know, Cheney, who we saw earlier, he was in the Carter administration and the Reagan administration and the Bush administration and so forth. But uh, she really had some scary things to say about digital currency. She said at the World Government Summit, uh, I'll say this boldly, we're about to abandon the traditional system of money and accounting and introduce a new one. And the new one... Uh, the new accounting is what we call blockchain. It means digital. It means having almost perfect record of every single transaction that happens to the economy, which will give us far greater clarity over what's going on. Give who? Who's us? The one world globalist elite that rule the world. Um, and we talked about that. Uh, speaking of uh, control, the Chinese government has deployed drones this is just from earlier this month, April 11th, in Shanghai to warn civilians not to protest newly imposed COVID lockdowns. And so to set the stage, you know, they were locked down into their high-rise buildings, which is what they call houses over there, and, uh, and people were tired of it. So they started protesting by opening their windows and leaning out and singing. And so the government deployed these drones, and I'll just play it... Uh, just so that you can kind of imagine what it would have been like if you were there. Obviously, we won't understand it.
So that was some guy taking a, with his camera, leaning out his window. But what the translation is was, please comply with COVID restrictions. Control your soul's desire for freedom. Do not open the window or sing. I mean, wow. Control your soul's desire for freedom? Uh, so they're talking about creating a, an Internet of Things. Uh, Catherine Austin Fitz had this to say in Planet Lockdown. She said, the technocracy that they are pushing towards is what is called transhumanism. Essentially, what you do is you use injections to inject materials into the body that create the equivalent of an operating system and a receiver. And you can literally hook up everybody to the cloud. It's called the Internet of Things, or IOT. You're basically talking about being able to digitally identify and track people in connection with their financial transactions. So it is a world of zero privacy. Remember what uh, Brzezinski and some of those, uh, Carol Quigley said about being able to track you from birth? Uh, you are now talking about a system where every central bank in the world can shut you off individually from transacting if they do not like the way you are uh, behaving. So it's basically the cloud, never forget, and this is a saying in technology, among technologists, they, they always remind you the cloud is just somebody else's computer. So when you talk about uploading things to the cloud or accessing things from the cloud or using the cloud, it's not, I think everybody understands, it's not literally like one of the clouds up there, which there aren't even any real clouds anymore, it's all geoengineered, but it's not like one of them has your name on it and it's physically up there in the atmosphere. The cloud is somebody else's computer, and I submit that it's uh, Satan's. Uh, so, you know, if you go back to Genesis, transhumanism has two basic driving principles, and both of them come straight, straight from Satan himself. First, he told Eve, you will not surely die. Transhumanists are seeking immortality. And then he said, you will be like God. They want you to become like God. Ray Kurzweil is a leading a transhumanist, um, he, he, you know, their desire is to, on purpose, create a post-human species. People will no longer be human. People like Bill Gates are in this club. Elon Musk, don't believe the propaganda that Elon Musk is a good guy, any more than Zelensky is a good guy. Um, and uh, many other world leaders are, you know, transhumanists. Uh, but Ray Kurzweil is involved in uh, such fields as optical character recognition, OCR, when it first came out, text-to-speech synthesis. He's written books on health, artificial intelligence, transhumanism, the, sing the technological singularity, if you're familiar with that phrase. Uh, he's a public advocate for the futurist and transhumanist movements and gives all kinds of talks about it. Uh, the United States honored him. Uh, President Clinton awarded him the highest honor in technology uh, during his term. Uh, he was hired by Google in 2012 in a full-time position to work on new projects involving machine learning and language processing. Um, on the process of divine intelligence, here's what Kurzweil had to say. Does God exist? Well, I would say not yet. Okay. Not yet. Elon Musk, uh, he's quite a peach. Uh, he said... Uh, he admits on tape that transhumanism is just not about reversing aging or the pursuit of immortality. He said, quote, soon 
we will be able to turn you into a blanking butterfly if we want to. That's what he said. Transhumanism. Uh, You see this all over the news. Uh, Here's a Wall Street Journal article looking forward to the end of humanity by Adam Kirsch from June of 2020. Um, And, of course, uh, a lot of the pharmaceutical companies are falling in line with what they call the software of life. Uh, Moderna's, you know, official company tagline at one time that's been scrubbed but you can find it in the archives, was we believe MNRE is the software of life. The software of life. Uh, In Canada, we've got Policy Horizons Canada and Crystal Vanderelst, who in an article in February 2020 entitled Exploring Biodigital Convergence, she had this to say. In the coming years, biodigital technologies can be woven into our lives in the way that digital systems are now. Biological and digital systems are converging and could change the way we work, live, and evolve, even evolve as a species. More than a technological change, this biodigital convergence may transform the way we understand ourselves and cause us to redefine what we consider human. Right? And it's no surprise that that's what she's talking about because she was the head of strategic foresight at, wait for it, the World Economic Forum with our friend Klaus Schwab before taking her post in Canada. The physical meshing, merging, and manipulating of the biological and digital are creating new hybrid forms of life. Now, the last time we saw evil, Satan-worshipping Luciferians trying to create new hybrid forms of life, God destroyed the earth. Genesis 6. This is yet one of many reasons why a lot of us think that we've got to be getting close. Can we guarantee it? Are we making predictions, setting dates? Of course not. But it sure seems like uh, we're getting there. I won't take the time to read uh, a lengthy section from this article, but you should look it up. Uh, it's called Good Morning Biodigital. It's from this same organization, Policy Horizons in Canada. But they basically tell a hypothetical story of what it will be like in, in, the, in, you know, in the transhumanist world. And it is, uh, it is scary. So, you know, what they're you know, saying is we don't believe in vitalism. Vitalism is the notion that there's a fundamental difference between living and dead organisms or between living beings and inanimate objects, right? Uh, and that ideology is completely disappearing. There's nothing, you know, there's no sanctity of human life. So we saw in previous decades this idea that man, man and trees and other Things are the same, and we've got to save the trees and save the whales and save the dolphins and whatever. We're way beyond that now. Now, it's, there's no distinction between organic and natural and digital synthetic. You know, you remember the old commercial, I can't believe it's butter? Well, now with transhumanism, I can't believe it's not human, right? Back to our friend Klaus Schwab, the fourth IR technologies will not stop at becoming part of the physical world around us. They will become part of us. Today's external devices from wearable computers to virtual reality headsets will almost certainly become implantable in our bodies and brains. Active implantable microchips will break the skin barrier of our bodies and smart tattoos, biological computing, and custom-designed organisms will be 
common. A, a whole section of his book, for I, Fourth Industrial Revolution, is devoted to the theme of altering the human being. And by the way, that one came out in 2013. He talks about smart dust, arrays of full computers with antennas, each much smaller than a grain of sand, can now organize themselves inside the body. These technologies will operate with our own biology, within our own biology, and change how we interface with the world. They are capable of crossing the boundaries of body and mind, enhancing our physical abilities, and even having a lasting impact on life itself. These technologies can intrude into the hitherto private space of our minds, reading our thoughts and influencing our behavior. I don't think I have this quote in here, but and if I do, I'll skip it, and you'll never know that I made a mistake. Uh, but anyway, I, I read where they were talking about in the future, because of this technology, when a uh, uh, freelance writer wants to submit an article to a digital magazine, Rather than sitting down at their computer and typing it out and sending it or posting it, they'll just sit back and think the article, and then it'll be automatically transmitted to the publisher. Right. He said, implanted devices will also help to communicate thoughts normally expressed verbally through a built-in smartphone and potentially unexpressed thoughts or moods by reading brainwaves and other signals. So you're getting into pre-crime and all of that. Um, and so he said, as capabilities in this area improve, the temptation for law enforcement agencies and courts to use techniques to determine the likelihood of criminal activity, assess guilt, or even possibly retrieve memories directly from people's brains will increase. Even crossing a national border might one day involve a detailed brain scan to assess an individual's security risk. And that leads us to eugenics and depopulation. Remember, Proverbs says, all those who hate me love death. And, um, you know, there's multiple layers of what he means by that, but, or what God's word means by that. But Satan certainly hates God and loves death. Uh, he's a murderer from the beginning. Uh, eugenics is simply social Darwinism. Uh, why do you think the Rockefeller Foundation and Carnegie Foundations and others demanded that evolution be taught to every child in America when they launched compulsory government schooling in 1918? And 30 years later, when all those Nazi eugenicists came over to the U.S. in Operation Paperclip, more than 1,600 of them, as we talked about a second ago, do you think they changed their worldview? Why do you think we brought them here? You know, Darwin's book, Origin of the Species, most people don't know that the subtitle, and you can go to Amazon today and find it, was the preservation of the favored races in the struggle for life. Darwin was not a scientist. He was a eugenicist. He wanted to get rid of the people that had a different skin color or had a broken leg or were maimed or somehow deformed or had some other problems and weren't part of the elite. He only wanted the favored races to survive. In his book, uh, his companion book, The Descent of Man, published in 1871, he said, most people are evolutionary dead ends and only a small elite is actually evolving Everyone else just gets in the way, he said. And that's why in the Georgia Guidestones, uh, we see them talking about reducing the uh, population of the world to 500 million. And this is in their writings and, and elsewhere. Um, the UN has had, had a huge propaganda piece for quite some time now where they're talking about how one of the gods of the universe, a doctor, 
is diagnosing the earth's problem. So there's the earth. The earth is sick. This doctor comes along. Oh, let me check you out. Oh, I'm afraid you have humans. That's your problem. You have humans. Here's another one. Uh, you have humans. You're going to take a daily capsule of tsunami and two tablets of eight degrees earthquake and under a strict regimen of drought. <laughs> we'll show you. They're teaching kids to, you know, create their own artwork promoting this uh, theme. Well, you must have humans, <laughs> right? See how they're devaluing life, which is an affront to the image of God and man. You know, the sanctity of life's not just about abortion. It's about understanding life. And, you know, we're not entitled to not suffer. Nobody likes to suffer. But life itself has value. And so when we see a loved one suffering on their deathbed, and, of course, the world says, oh, just kill them. Do the humane thing. Like they're a, you know, a lame horse or something. That flies right in the face of the same. We don't understand the mind of God. We don't understand what God's doing. From our perspective, yeah, it looks, it's, it's horrible to watch someone you love suffer. But life is sacred. And God in his time is the one who controls life. So I want to show you a series of quotes just to show you how much this agenda of hating life, hating God, loving death, wanting to kill people, I mean, they thrive on it. It gives them power. That's what child sacrifice is all about. It's just this sick power that they get from it. But let's look at some leading Luciferians and some of the things they've said through the years about depopulation. Uh, Attenborough was an English broadcaster and natural historian who is best known for writing and presenting in conjunction with BBC's Natural History. We are a plague on the earth. It's coming home to roost over the next 50 years or so. Either we limit our population growth or the natural world will do it for us. And the natural world is going to do it for us right now. Harl Ehrlich, American biologist. Uh, he's written extensively uh, about all of this stuff. His book in 1968, a very controversial book called The Population Bomb, which he co-authored with his wife. He states that in the 1970s, hundreds of millions of people will starve to death in spite of any crash programs embarked upon now. Among the solutions that he suggested in that book was population control involving various forms of coercion, such as eliminating tax benefits for having additional children. He said, quote, to our minds, the fundamental cure, reducing the scale of the human enterprise, including the size of the population, to keep its Aggregate consumption within the carrying capacity of the earth is obvious, but too much neglected or denied. Nobody, in my view, has the right to have 12 children or even three unless the second pregnancy is twins. Ted Turner said a, a total population of 250, 300 million people, a 95% decline from present levels would be ideal. Bill Maher said, I'm pro-choice. I'm pro-assisted suicide. I'm for regular suicide. I'm for whatever gets the freeway moving. That's what I'm for. It's too crowded. The planet is too crowded, and we need to promote death. Yeah, they're using Bill again. You know, he used to be, you know, a flaming liberal. Now they're recasting him like they do in this fake left-right paradigm and making him a Fox News hero. Well, this is Bill Maher. Colorado State University professor Philip Cafaro, in a paper entitled Climate Ethics and Population Policy, said ending human population growth is almost certainly a necessary but not sufficient condition 
for preventing catastrophic global climate change. Detroit News columnist Noah Nolan Finley said, since the national attention is on birth control, here's my idea. If we want to fight poverty, reduce violent crime, and bring down our own embarrassing dropout rate, we should swap contraceptives for fluoride in Michigan's drinking water. By the way, they've put poisons and toxins in drinking water for decades. I talk about that in the section on depopulation in the book. Margaret Sanger, everybody knows about her. She said, all of our problems are the result of overbreeding among the working class, and the most merciful thing that a large family does to one of its infant members is to kill it. Ruth Bader Ginsburg said, at the time that Roe v. Wade was decided, there was concern among population growth, and particularly growth in populations that we don't want to have too many of. She was a clerk at the time. She wasn't, this is before she was on the Supreme Court, but she was reflecting on Roe v. Wade, and she said, at the time when they decided, I figured this must be what was in their mind when they voted on it. Nina Federoff was a key advisor to Hillary Clinton. She said, we need to continue to decrease the growth rate of the global population. The planet can't support many more people. Now, Barack Obama's primary science advisor, I think a lot of people remember there was a lot of talk about him, and I remember speaking about him a lot at conferences back in that time. He said, a program of sterilizing women after their second or third child, despite the relatively greater difficulty of the operation than a vasectomy, might be easier to implement than trying to sterilize men. The development of a long-term sterilizing capsule that could be implanted under the skin and removed when pregnancy is desired opens additional possibilities for coercive fertility control. The capsule could be implanted at puberty and might be removable with official permission for a limited number of births. David Brower, the executive director of the Sierra Club, first executive director, said, childbearing should be a punishable crime against society unless the parents hold a government license. <laughs> All potential parents should be required to use contraceptive chemicals, the government issuing antidotes to citizens chosen for childbearing. Now, it might surprise you to know that our own Health and Human Services has an Office of Population Affairs. Go to hhs.gov and look it up. Thomas Ferguson, former official in the U.S. Department of Office of Population, State Department Office of Population Affairs, said, quote, there is a single theme behind all our work. We must reduce population levels. Once population is out of control, it requires authoritarian government, even fascism, to uh, reduce it. This is from their own website. If you look up the About page, the Office of Population Affairs advises the Secretary and the Assistant Secretary for Health and Human Services on a wide range of reproductive and adolescent health topics, including teen pregnancy prevention, family planning, and sterilization, as well as other population issues. Does it surprise you to know that your tax dollars are going to support the depopulation agenda of the Luciferians? It shouldn't, unless you think, you know, Depravity stopped at the beltway around Washington, D.C. Jacques Cousteau famously said, in, in order to stabilize world population, we must eliminate 350,000 people per day. It's a horrible thing to say, but it's just as bad not to say it. Henry Kissinger said, depopulation should be the highest priority of foreign policy towards the third world. 
Now get this, because the U.S. economy will require large and increasing amounts of minerals from abroad, especially from less developed countries. We need that oil and we need that, those you know, minerals. Let's just go in and wipe out those countries. You don't think that all of these wars that we've been engaged in for the last several decades were organic. There was a secret meeting of billionaires in New York City in 2009 that was leaked out and then eventually covered by Good Morning America, Forbes, and many other mainstream outlets. Uh, and you see there on the screen, left to right, Bill, Re Bill Gates, Ted Turner, George Soros, David Rockefeller, Michael Bloomberg, Oprah Winfrey, and Warren Buffett, all of them eugenicists and Luciferians. And uh, what they were meeting about was to try to shrink, shrink the world's population. Um, it was hosted by Sir Paul Nurse, president of Rockefeller University, in his uh, home. These official invitations were co-written by Gates, Buffett, and Rockefeller. And the stated reason for meeting was to consider how their wealth could be used to slow the growth of the world's population. Maybe that's why Bill Gates famously said in a TED Talk, if we do a really good job with vaccines, we can lower the population growth by as much as 10 to 15%. What? Oh, yeah, no, he meant what he said. Prince Philip, of course, famously said, in the event that I am reincarnated, I would like to return as a deadly virus in order to contribute something to solve overpopulation. See, Satan was a murderer from the beginning. He comes to kill and to steal and destroy. He wants to devour the earth. So, of course, his co-conspirators are wanting to do uh, the same thing. But someday, of course, we know that death will be no more. Death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire, Revelation 20. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death. So we know how the story ends. Uh, but in the meantime, we need to be prepared for what they are planning. When they set a goal of reducing the world's population by 95%, they're serious. They're serious. Any questions before we take our last break, and then we'll finish out with our third session today. Any comments or questions? Yes. Yeah, so great question about how does Hollywood play in this. Well, Hollywood was established originally by the Luciferians. Hollywood gets its name from the holly tree, branches from which were used by witches to conduct, you know, uh, other evil spells and cast spells on people. So it's really the Satan wood is really what we're talking about there. Uh, so yeah, they've been very much involved from the very beginning. It's widely known that the CIA has had an office in Hollywood that approves all the scripts for, for years. But it's all about mind control and propaganda. So they, um, you know, a lot of times people debate, does art imitate life or does life imitate art? The fact of the matter is art imitates life. What we see coming off the big screens in Hollywood is simply what's really happening behind the scenes. So you see that with like the Jason Bourne series and, you know, how we're, they're really creating super soldiers and controlled assets where they can make them become trained assassins with just a keyword or a sound. Uh, you see the movies that you mentioned about trans, you know, promoting transhumanism, obviously promoting the transgender and LGBTQI movement and all of that. Um, but yeah, a lot of stuff that we see coming out of uh, 
Hollywood is is either predictive programming, it's uh, secretly exposing things. The One of the things I talk about in the book is how the Luciferians have a credo that they have to tell you what they're going to do before they do it, but it's always hidden in some secret code language and you never find out about it until after the fact, right? And then you go, oh, wow. And of course, then when it's exposed, the people go, oh, it's just a coincidence, you know. Uh, like uh, one of the ones I tell in the book, well, I'll, I'll, you need to look into Oklahoma City and the Oklahoma City bombing and the governor's brother and the novel that he wrote, you know, coincidentally right before the bombing where the main character was a guy named Tom McVeigh who blew up a, a, a federal building in Oklahoma City and then was captured by a state patrolman because he had a taillight that was out. Sounds kind of a lot like what really happened later, you know, by Timothy McVeigh. But anyway, um, and you can still buy that book, by the way, on Amazon. Um, so, yeah, I think Hollywood plays a central role in all of this is the short answer. Anybody else? Yes? Trump, 67 to be exact. Yeah. Yeah, he drained the swamp right into his cabinet. Anybody else? So the comment is in question, the first time around, Satan tried to use demons to corrupt the human gene pool, uh, trying to destroy the, 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 the DNA to avoid the Messiah, because he had been told, you know, from her seed, Genesis 3.15, will come the one who's going to destroy you, and, and he did, Jesus Christ. And so the question is, is he trying to only use technology this time? My answer is, I don't know. I know he's using technology. That's what transhumanism is all about. Could there be more going on there? I think so. We can talk about that offline because I want you guys to stay for the third session. <laughs> but yeah, I think there's a lot going on in, in that regard of trying to destroy uh, human DNA. Anybody else? Yes? So when doing research in light of Operation Mockingbird and everything else, who do you know that could be? I mean, you had other folks like Yahoo and Fox News. Yeah. So I get this question a lot, and I really don't have a good, succinct answer. I mean, I do in my mind, but I've never really found a good way to articulate it. I'm not proud. I'm not happy with how I'm articulating it. But basically what you're asking is what are some good sources out there that you can trust? So the stuff I'm showing is just basically showing you what's in the mainstream news. I'm, in no way am I endorsing any of these you know, news clips. I'm just showing you, hey, it's not me making this stuff up. Um, you know, it's, there's really no one source that we can take to the bank, obviously, except God's word. We can take that to the bank, infallible, inerrant word of God. But in terms of uh, piecing things together, it's really more a matter of, um, you know, of picking a subject that you want to study more about and then reading everything you can on it, uh, using common sense and good research skills to spit out the bones and eat the meat, doing cross-referencing, validating things, you know, checking sources, um, and then and then piecing together some information. So when I first woke up to the world as it really exists, as I tell the story in the preface of the book, um, I started reading books that I would never have read previously because I was a card-carrying member of the you know Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity, you know right wing. I worked in campaigns for Jack Kemp and uh, just really was all in with the with the traditional evangelical conservative right wing 
you know, perspective. And I was so angry at myself when I realized how I'd been duped that then I said, well, maybe there's some good information out there about other people. So I would never have read a book by some liberal or progressive, but I started reading some of that stuff, realizing that their worldview is false, spitting out most of what they were saying, rejecting it, but they would have some verifiable, documented eyewitness accounts of things, white papers, literal whistleblowing stuff, things that you don't hear, uh, that I go, wow. You know, then, I, then that led me down a rabbit trail to read you know, other stories and, and, and court cases about things like the Franklin cover-up where you see under oath testimony about, you know, some of the child sex rings and things that reach to the highest levels of both parties in politics. And you see testimony and you see video testimony and you, and you start to realize, wow, there's a lot of stuff out there that I'm not hearing on Fox News, you know. Um, so, I, you know, I don't really have a short, obviously for, depends on the topic, for conservative issues like, say, you know, critical race theory, woke, that, you know, you can go to places like Harbinger's Daily or Epoch Times, they're going to have some good information out there that kind of tells us about people that are fighting that battle for, for the good guys. Um, you know, similarly with uh, some of these other topics. So you just have to pick a topic and then not be afraid to read stuff. And you'll, usually within the first few pages, you can tell if the book's got any substance to it of, that, that is information that's valuable. And if not, just set it aside, pick something else, you know. But it, it's, there's no, you know, we want to think there's one source we can go to where I can always sort of fast track my way to the truth and it just it's not easy to do and and I've been you know chased rabbits at times that have led to some misinformation and stuff and so you're gonna have to fail a few times and I you know that that's just comes with the territory Yeah, Zero Hedge is kind of an alt-media source, too. Again, I don't know what their overall worldview is, but they definitely have some, some pretty good insight when it comes to the global markets and things again, like that. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's you know, check, check everything I'm saying out, you know. I mean, so I, w I wouldn't just take what I'm saying uh, for granted. So anybody else? Okay, awesome. Well, let's take a break, and we will come back here in about five minutes for our final session.